And so, so they've got these pins going through their skin into the yeah. bone. So it's really risky to do something like that is, yeah. is for cosmetic reasons because the pins can get infected and it takes a lot of care to look after them. Hey Refam, I'm Kate and welcome back to Keeping It Real, a podcast going around the world in 40 minutes. From leg lengthening in India to silicone nose inserts in Korea, Richard and Kim are going to break down how these surgeries actually work and if they're worth the risk. We're also going to chat about the impact of Zoom calls on facial surgery and how all of these surgeries reflect Eurocentric beauty ideals and if that's changing. So, firstly, welcome back, Kim and Richard. Podcast gang is back for 2022. <laughs> <laughs> 2020. It does feel like 2020. Yeah. It's still going. It's like last year was 2021. Yeah. Was it? One. Alrighty. So, today we're going to be talking about plastic surgery trends around the world. We've talked uh, quite a bit about how they've kind of changed in Australia and how we've moved, you know, to more natural looks, et cetera. But I thought it was quite fascinating the more I looked into what was happening around the world um, and how that kind of pertained to each culture. Um, so I'm going to start. I'm going to probably give you the things and you tell me how they work. Um, so in India is limb lengthening. So obviously, I think like in most cultures it's kind of seen as beneficial to be taller uh, and very much um, in the articles I was reading it's meant to help with marriage prospects etc um, so people will have this surgery to add up to three inches in height Wow! Um, and the process is adapted from techniques used by plastic and orthopedic surgeons for after like major trauma or people who are children who are stunted in growth um, so Andrew, I believe you guys know about this one since you are, in fact, a plastic surgeon. Um, so do you want to talk a bit about how that would actually work, that surgery, and how you could actually add height to people? Yeah, so this was used a lot when I was at the Alfred, which is a trauma hospital. So it's the technique is Ilazarov, and basically what would happen, uh, patients would be have trauma and they um, the the, the bones in their legs would be generally so badly damaged that they'd actually lose some of the, the length of the um, tibia um, to, so they could join the two bones up. The, the bone in between was so badly smashed. And what they would do is um, put a frame, there's a big frame, and you put pins uh, into the bone above and below where the gap is um, and uh, you'll just slowly over time uh, distract those two pieces of bone and then bone would fill in in between so you'd wind it out at whatever whatever the rate was a millimeter a, a week or whatever and over that time bone would fill in and then that gap would be would be closed um so it's, how pr- it's pretty amazing how bone works like that so you, yeah yeah so if you're doing it for cosmetic sort of purposes mm-hmm. it actually saw a cut in the bone yeah so essentially break their bone, Ugh. put the, all the wires in, loads of wires that go through the skin that you can see in this huge frame, yeah. and then you stretch it apart. And the bone that grows in between the gap is sort of plasticky, and it, and it keeps lengthening until you stop winding it out, and then it turns into normal bone. So is it like 
when a gecko loses its tail and it goes back? <laughs> like, is that is it like no, it's no, no, growing no. in between? Not really, because it's, it's it's called distraction osteogenesis. Mm-hmm. So the stimulus for the bone to be to grow is is that there's a gap. I so did not know bone just grew. Yeah, if you made the gap too big, it wouldn't work. Oh. But if the gap is small and you're pulling it apart slowly, yeah. I think it's a millimeter a day you can Maybe. do they can wi- they wind the patients they that have the frames they it wind it themselves so there's, there's <laughs> probably five little five little little um screws around the outside of this frame on their leg we can we put a photo of one of them on the yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. yeah I I we one. should do that so but That's just terrific. just imagine like on a torture in a torture chamber and you're on a rack yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. actually being stretched out that's it so and, and sorry okay i was gonna say they're going for like three inches so how long would that take? So well, like that's seventy-five s- millimeters. Uh, so so if you do one millimeter day, that's seventy-five days, and then you got to leave it until the bone's completely healed, which would be another six weeks at the end of that to make it solid. And so, so they've got these pins going through their skin into the yeah. bone. So it's really risky to do something like that, is, yeah. is for cosmetic reasons because the pins can get infected, and it takes a lot of care to look after them yeah. um, and to go in and be like okay my leg is normal my legs yeah uh, cut cut my bone <laughs> and then but do, would you lengthen the femur or the tibia so above the knee or below the I knee I think that I, do I, I don't know maybe that oh my god I think probably lower because the frames would be too high on the thighs they wouldn't be able to walk but the but you'd have to have two frames unless you do like yeah. one at a time. Yeah, no, you definitely have two. Like you'd frames. be like a Michelin man with these massive these frames, frames around both of your calves. It's a genius idea for for patients that have ling, li, limb length discrepancies oh, or yeah. post trauma. Like it's an amazing technique that works yeah. really well, but uh, not something I'd be recommending if someone wants to be taller. No, but what just just to just to backtrack, mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about taking someone to the theatre. Soaring oh. through their tibia to make Richard to, to make a, well, this is an audio audio medium. medium like, I need to explain I've it. I've heard rumors. Yeah. Um, soaring through the bone, like cutting it in and half. And if you're doing the bo- lower leg, you would do both of them. Like you have to you'd cut have to. the tibia and the Otherwise figure. You walk with a limp. So, so would that be like they would cut through the skin first yeah. to get to the bone, and yeah. then just stitch it up at the end. So yeah. yeah, the skin cut would probably be reasonably small. But yeah. Just it's soaring a, a bone, soaring. like you know, a what? normal bone that you're then just going to break essentially. Disgusting. <laughs> so what are I mean? Obvious. Besides so glad we're all tall. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say you're, you're, t- you're tall, Kate. You can judge. <laughs> I know. I'm like couldn't be me. <laughs> a hem. I've never heard of it. Um, but okay. So besides the horrific kind of Graphic. imagery, so what are the possible complications and risks that could come Numerous. from that? So also I talked about the pins. So um, because it's a piece, fine bit of metal that's going through the skin into the bone. Um, and so if you get an infection of that, it can get infection into the bone and have osteomyelitis, um, oh. significant problems. Um, I, I guess if it's done incorrectly or uneven, um, the bone could end up not straight. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're doing two limbs, then you could end up with one longer than the other um, you could end up with the bone actually not healing at all at the end of all this. Wow. So non-union. Non-union. Mm. Or infected non-union, even worse. Osteomyelitis, infection of the bone. 
In the article I was reading, um, they also said it's obviously highly unregulated, which I think we would all shock to hear. Um, (laughs) And an orthopaedic surgeon said that it's obviously really difficult to perform, but people are doing it after just one or two months fellowship, following a doctor who's also experimenting. No colleges, no training, nothing. Sounds like the cosmetic industry in Australia. Yeah. Oh, God. All right. Well, that was that was a good start. Nice start. Um, <laughs> Where do we go from here? I think, honestly, we really go down a notch. So next is Brazil, uh, which we've obviously spoken about at length during our BBL episode, which you haven't listened to. Go back and give it a listen. Um, I think it is worth reiterating, though, that people probably, when they hear Brazilian butt lift, is more about, like, emulating these, like, Brazilian bodies, but it's not. Negative. It's that it was invented there um popularized popularized i think it was invented really i don't know go back and listen to the episode <laughs> <laughs> but um they in my readings are saying brazil's leads the world in aesthetic surgery developments and ideas from new types of breast implants do you know guys know anything about that um there is a type of implant that's called a Furry Brazilian, and they have been available cool in name. Australia yeah, for I'm a while. Not sure I want that in my body. <laughs> they, they actually, they actually feel quite nice as well. So even patients that come in to see us for breast augmentation, and we will show them real implants of the types that we use. And most people are actually, you know, really interested to feel them, and are like, oh, they feel great. Um, mm-hmm. The vast majority of people would say, and so the furry Brazilians actually even feel kind of slightly furrier <laughs> and slightly nicer. Um, what they are is it's a layer of polyurethane that's on the outside of a silicon breast implant. So mm-hmm. kind of the inner parts of it would be similar to what we use here. But the polyurethane is, is designed to become to come off the implant and then become a part of your body, which I still struggle to kind of think, you know, why would that be a good thing? Um, I've never put one in, but I've taken a bunch out. And the nice. – um, yeah, <laughs> the – the silicon implant part of it usually comes out and, and the ones that I've taken out, quite a lot of the outer shell has not all been incorporated. But there's little bits, um, I'm not going to use my fingers, but mm. uh, about sort of two centimetres by half a centimetre, little pieces of almost looks like paint chips, um, oh. like just white kind of material from the outside of these implants that is sort of designed to leave behind. Um I always try and get out as much of it as I can. Uh, How weird. So they just added that on. Yeah, and the thought is that it reduces the capture contracture rate and oh, reduces complications. You paint chips in you instead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but who knows? And I, I'm uncertain, but I, I'm not sure if they're available in Australia anymore because um, I've never put them in, so I've never yeah. really bothered to. But I, th- I think that they may have been removed um, in the last couple of years when um, a bunch of implants have come off the market but um, I'm sure in a country like that where the a lot of the surgical market is unregulated as you've said um, that people are designing and making up implants and probably non-medical grade um, type of silicon as well. Well they're also famous for a Brazilian abdominoplasty which I'm just starting oh, I really like a to Brazilian put abdominoplasty. Brazilian at the front. Never no heard way. of it before. Surgery, which includes. What does it include? It uses a combination of Abdominoplasty, which is plastic surgery to reduce excess skin. Extensive liposuction to remove abdominal wall flat, fat. Tightening of the deep layer of thicker tissue to tighten the waist. 
and an approximation, which is closing together for everyone playing at home, of the abdominal wall muscles to reduce any bulge. Hang on a second. That's a re-plastic surgery, <laughs> abdominal plastic. <laughs> yes. They've stolen that from us. <laughs> well, they just have a better marketing person. Oh. <laughs> that's just an abdominal plastic. Yeah. As Kate said, that's marketing. Yeah, that's just yeah. putting They're a just different name the on the everything. same operation that we all that do. That is literally exactly <laughs> what we do. Yeah, I think just fancy wow. words for muscle repair. Wow, liposuction and a muscle Maybe it's because the cosmetic surgeons here don't do the muscle repair. Uh, so they're like, mm. can't can, be No, uh, true fact. Apparently mm. a lot of plastic surgeons don't do a muscle repair. Really? What? Yeah, as, a, as standard, like don't ever do it. It always amazes me when patients come in, and I operated on someone last week, and she'd come back for a second consult, and then even on the day I'm marking her up, she's like, I'm just checking that you're going to do, like – you're going to repair my muscles. And I guess because a lot of the time on forums and things, it's discussed as I'm having a tummy tuck and a muscle repair, like as if it's two separate operations. Yeah, interesting. But it's the same operation. We and you know that she just like thought about that all night before she came in yeah, as well. Yeah, it's like, like I'm just checking. And, yeah. you know, it, it would be a rare occasion that I haven't repaired them. Um, I probably would, I would men, say definitely not. I, I don't routinely do yeah, it in men. men. And um, I've probably had one or two females where they're, the abdominal wall was absolutely tight and pristine, and mm. um, but any female patient that's had a pregnancy, mm. like mm. there's even if the gap is small, the tissues are floppy, and yeah. so you, you, we would always tighten it. No, it's interesting. On the phones the other day, that people were like, "Oh, and I'd also like to talk about muscle repair," and I was like, "Oh no, like that's included." Yeah, and that's funny because I just I said that maybe like four times. I was like, "Oh no, no, that's part of it." No, because I think it's actually a thing that a lot yeah, of surgeons don't do it, or maybe they, do they charge more for it. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, maybe they say it's a tummy job, but if you want a muscle repair, then it's 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 this. They're already in there. <laughs> I, I um no, it's no, just and part of the procedure. The only reason yeah. I know it is because. Obviously, in theatre, you work with nurses who operate with other surgeons and they're staggered that we always do a muscle repair. They say, and they tell me, you understand that uh, not everyone does it. And you're kidding. Don't be stupid. I, I say it a bit more colourfully. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> a little aggressive. The, they're like, whoa, damn, mm-hmm. should we pass on a message? The, the, the other thing i just point out on that list mm. of things that you went through, probably the thing that we would do slightly less of is the extensive liposuction. Mm-hmm. So... F- and we've probably all seen um, TV shows and videos where patients have had every single um, speck of fat sucked out. And the problem with that being is that it's normal to have a layer of fat in your tissues. Yeah. And unless the fat in the abdomen is out of proportion to elsewhere, we would do some liposuction generally to help with contouring, mm-hmm. but never... I wouldn't really describe extensive liposuction very often because you're just going to end up with skin that's thin skin and then you stitch that back together and it sits on the muscles and looks weird and irregular. That's part of the issue. The the other issue is blood supply. So um, maybe we need a a graphic that will – another graphic that's going to come with this episode. Use that slide Mm -hmm. function on Instagram. um, Essentially there's a blood supply that comes like – from below, there's a blood supply that comes from above and there's a blood supply that comes through the muscle. So when you're doing a tummy tuck, you definitely, you're cutting through the one from below, you're cutting through the one through the muscle and then all of the skin is reliant on the blood supply coming from above. So 
generally in the middle, sort of if you imagine sort of where the six-pack is, Mm -hmm. that's kind of a safe zone. You can do liposuction there and you can do a bit in in the flanks, but you can't do the whole abdominal flap because then there'd be no blood supply to the skin and then you have wound healing issues and skin dying back. So, um, but we can we can do a diagram to to show those nice. those two things. Mm-hmm. And, and interesting, like as we said before, we would generally do some degree of liposuction in the safe areas. Um, I remember when I was training, um, being taught, or it was sort of like you know, historical thing that don't ever do any liposuction when you're doing yeah. an abdominoplasty. And, and we know for sure that it's safe to do um, to do some, uh, but yeah, extensive probably not a word we'd. <laughs> Yes, nice. Brazilians so, can keep that. I was going to say, so the theme is same surgery, but a little bit worse. Um, all right, going on to South Korea, um, yeah. which I found quite funny because I was like, obviously not North Korea. Um, Kim's been to oh, North Korea. Hang on. Ooh, and Kim. I have a story about yeah, in yeah. North Korea. Yeah. You operated one, in North Korea? I wish. <laughs> I, I, I reckon I could. Our guide, we yeah. um, one of our guides, um, in inverted commas, um, Guards slash captors, not quite. But but one of our guides had had her upper eyelids operated on in yeah in South Korea, and she was from a family. um, I think her parents were dentists, so a family that had some cash. And I don't, I didn't talk to her specifically about it. She was super difficult to have any kind of conversation with. But um, one of our English guides uh, had chatted with her about it. She was like, "Look, look, look at her eyelids." She's and she definitely had. she definitely had scars on them. What did it look like? Uh, like would you have normal. noticed it if? Uh, if I'd looked closely enough, but it, it looked like you know she, she had was on holidays. Surgery. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, know, I mean, you're not looking. I just meant like if she was passing. We're the street, always like, looking. Are you here? Are you serious? No, we're never looking. I'm <laughs> always looking. <laughs> never judging. Always <laughs> judging. <laughs> and there is Richard, yeah. and the difference between me. <laughs> So South Korea, plastic surgery is actually a significant contributor to their GDP. So it's yeah. a very big business there. Um, they, they're kind of known for a couple of things in terms of for Koreans, um, known for things such as major facial surgery in terms mm. of kind of de- making it more dainty and doll-like, um, nose surgery, mm. rhinoplasties, and um, as you mentioned, eyelid oh, surgeries. So Maybe let's go through those. Do you want to talk about, uh, Kim, maybe what exactly an eyelid surgery entails? Um, can I just say one other thing before maybe. I do that? Um, Gangnam, you, yeah. which um, a lot of people may not know, but from the song Gangnam Style. Mm. So Gangnam is a suburb in Seoul and it has the densest population of plastic surgeons in yeah. the entire world. It's it said, I can't, I can't, I should have written down the number, but it was like an insane yeah. number of plastic surgeons in one suburb. Yeah. Maybe so we need to open there. I, I don't think that's how that works. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you um, don't want to go where there's a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, I met a uh, South, South Korean plastic surgeon at a conference and he was chatting with me about it. Um, mm. uh, phenomenal. So anyway, eyelid surgery. So a uh, um, uh, Asians generally have an upper eyelid that doesn't have a fold. So everyone mm-hmm. that's listening to this, go get a mirror and have a look in it. And if you are European, you'll see when you open your eyelids, there's a crease that um, is formed. Whereas if you are of a um, Asian background, there is there is actually still a crease, but it's pretty much right where the eyelashes are. Yeah. So a lot of the... Um, Asian population that wants to have more European features or it's called double eyelid surgery. Uh, the aim of that is to recreate 
that fold. So to, to change where it is so that when they open their eyes, it looks a lot more similar to a European yeah. and how do they, eyelid. How do they do that surgery? Do it's with know? internal sutures. So oh. um, it's, it's not super technical. I've been involved um, in doing some of that during my training. Um, you essentially suture the skin down to the deeper plane. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to it's oh, technical and nothing to me. But <laughs> no diagram, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, no diagram required. But it, it's not super complicated surgery. Um, a lot of these guys are probably doing it under local anaesthetic in the office. Oh. Um, if they're doing all the other facial stuff, they'd be yeah. doing that asleep. Okay, um, and there are plenty of there are plenty of plastic surgeons in Melbourne. Uh, well, actually, probably not plenty, but there yeah. would be a handful of plastic surgeons um, that do do that operation. So it's not here. seen as like a super risky surgery or anything? No. No. It, it would, you know, raise very predictable outcomes. And um, All right. Then. Well, so then facial surgery, which is they used to create more V-shaped chins, smaller noses. Mm. Um, and oh, somebody described it really well. Oh yeah, wide eyes, a slim jawline, high cheekbones and a button nose, Mm. um, which is obviously just incredibly Eurocentric. Um, But what would that just – how would that differ from a facelift as we know it in Australia? Well, it it wouldn't – that's generally not the issue. So Mm. so it's actually not that common to see uh, people of Asian background with sort of skin laxity. So that's Mm -hmm. that's not what they're addressing. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, to – to, to make the nose smaller, mm-hmm. they actually make it bigger because they put um, usually a silicon implant into the – because they're deficient often in the dorsum. So if you think of a triangle and you top, cut the top of the triangle off, mm-hmm. it, the, the, the sides are then wider. So that's what makes the, the, the nose look wide, broader. Okay, so, so just like where the bridge of the nose is? Mm, Correct. Yeah, right between the eyes. So think of the bridge as the triangle. Mm-hmm. You, you chop off the triangle and that's what's more like an Asian nose. It looks, mm-hmm. it looks flatter and wider. For some, yes. For some. Uh, and so what they the, – the technique, it's a very simple technique, is to make a little incision, make a pocket mm-hmm. and put a, a silicon um, um, uh, implant, implant in mm. – um, to build up the bridge of the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's pretty much all it is. You know how it's now quite common um, for people to get Botox in their nose to kind of like smooth? No, smooth filler. Filler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Same. Quite, quite, yeah, so it's, like yeah, so it's same. increasing the volume in that area. Yeah. yeah so could they, would it, it's just that the other one's more permanent. Correct. It's, yeah. yeah. Okay. And the other thing with those silicon implants is it, pulls that bridge of the nose skin out Mm -hmm. and so when there's extra skin in the inside part of the eyelids Mm -hmm. um which is called which are called epicanthic folds it can bring that um uh it it makes it less obvious in the inside Mm -hmm. of the eyelids as well gotcha and i have again seen a bunch of those silicon nose implants mostly when they've eroded through the skin and taking them out Mm. yeah Mm. Because it's it's thin skin on the nose and it's thin skin inside the nostril where they are and, and through and few not, bugs in the nose yeah not yeah. not sterile few bugs <laughs> Kate's oh face my God. right now I just, like can I just we do a graphic a, of your face I just, I just had such graphic images of like yeah, yeah no. the eroding yeah. through the nose yeah yeah such, they like, can pop through the skin such anywhere or, yeah. or poke out through a nostril like a little bit of just a little silicon okay so that's one of the um complications Risks. yes <laughs> that for sure wow because I was thinking. Yeah, there's just like there's not a lot there. No. 
And so mm. is that kind of – is there a typical time frame or is it just – can happen any time. And especially if it's not put in extremely cautiously and sterile. And, um, so the filler is probably a less permanent solution but a safer solution for some yeah. of um, I think it is worth saying that this kind of aesthetic uh, is largely um, put towards K-pop culture um, and the rise in that. And so they had in 2017 the girl band Six Bomb. I really, love Six Bomb. Really, I think they were really good. They were really, they're really good. And like whatever, <laughs> it's just like like every K-pop group is just like five to six, very very pretty Korean. Um, can, can we do an insert of, of some of their music? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I that'd be good. I actually like I cannot overstate. I was trying to explain to Richard earlier like what K-pop was and I was like I cannot overstate like how big they are. Like Yeah, they're massive. If you do Bigger any song, it's like every western brand would like skyrocket like Blackpink. Black yeah, yeah, yeah. See, BTS oh, like they are over it. huge. It's so big. I can't Segway into K-pop music now. Okay, I'm going to fade into some K-pop, but I think it has to be under eight bars for us to not get sued. So let's <laughs> let's try it. I don't know if that was under eight bars. The other thing, once you stop listening to this podcast, mm. go go home and sit in front of a computer and Google K-pop stars what they look like before. Oh wow! And unrecognisable well because with this the, absolutely so they released a song called Becoming Prettier pra- praising all the plastic surgery each member had undergone <laughs> so like Excellent. and just goes through and like names all the things yeah. and I mean whatever like I think say K-pop but also it's like clearly very Eurocentric beauty ideals mm. beauty standards it's just that these K-pop members happen to also be embodying those. Yeah. And I think they're excellent musicians and artists and are not seen to be the perfect look and so they get these Unbelievable makeovers. Um, the other thing that's non-surgical is the skin whitening. Um, mm. oh, is a massive thing um, through there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's actually very good. When I was in Japan, we went to like the photo booths, and they made mm. like my eyes bigger, my skin so much whiter, and I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the irony like that that everyone here has a tan. Yeah, yeah, a spray, yeah. Like natural. Spray tan. Yeah. And um, through... Did you say natural spray tan? Natural, natural or, or spray oh, tan. Yeah. A natural spray tan. That's what I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah whereas you go through Asia and um, the lighter colour is yeah. um, much more desirable. Yeah. I also, in when I was in Japan, when I was like in year nine, I bought um, a magazine there. And at the end, it was like all the weight loss things. And it was like, do you want to look like this fat whale? She's 47 kilos. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to look like that. So to kind of um, juxtapose that, what we just talked about, um, button noses and very like dainty doll-like features – in Iran and Turkey, they're also very, very famous for rhinoplasties. Opposite. Yeah, I think Turkey probably – I think we'll more likely talk about Iran because I think Turkey's popularity more is um, a virtue of medical tourism and that they're so, they're very, very good. Don't want to take away mm. from them. Got the top special specialists, um, but it's the – costs are so much cheaper so Europeans go there so I'm not sure that a rhinoplasty necessarily reflects Turkish beauty ideals whereas Iran obviously it does so yeah Richard do you want to talk a bit about what a rhinoplasty for Iranians is how it differs from South Koreans in terms of cultural well a typical Middle East nose let's sort of broaden it 
mm-hmm. um, tends to have a bigger dorsum. Yeah. So th- more of a hump. And so it's the exact opposite of what you, what you would do in, a, in an Asian-type nose where mm-hmm. the, the hump is deficient. So a lot of the rhinoplasties in that population is about making the nose smaller and more petite. Yeah. So taking up off the hump, narrowing the bridge – and then refining the tip to match uh, the, the dorsal height. Yeah. Interestingly, sort of when I when I was sort of big on rhinoplasties, there was a there's a Turkish um, rhinoplasty surgeon who he, who was an absolute gun, and mm-hmm. he came out to Australia a number of times. I actually went and went to a conference in uh, Italy where he was there. So I saw him speak a number of times, and um, he he sort of. Um, was one of the pioneers of how sort of modern rhinoplasty is done. Mm-hmm. So I think I think what you said earlier is very true. I think that they do have some very very good surgeons. Yeah, I think across everywhere it's about just how they have top top tier, but then obviously yeah. it's like work outputs a lot uh, cheaper. Yeah. So um, yeah. So it's very much more about refining and, and making making the nose smaller in those populations. One thing that interests me about these radical facial changes mm. is when their kids, mm. when they have kids, and like their right. kids grow up into their teens, and they look at their parents, why don't they and look like are dad? like, what? My but parents don't look anything like me. I think just when what I was reading, because you're correct in that they are saying Persian nose, just bring back yeah. to Iran, um, is very definitive, and you know you see these like a lot of paintings and artwork of these Persian kings from 2,500 years ago and, like, you know, and their nose was such a source of their pride and their identity and it was Mm. and it was bigger and it was thicker and had a hump and a Mm. droopy nasal tip. Mm. And, and, you know, it's undeniably Persian nose, but now it's just kind of reverted again to Eurocentric. I mean, when I was doing rhinoplasties and you'd see patients like that, that was a massive issue, particularly for young girls. Yeah, and it's just become this rite of passage. Like, it... From like yeah, LA yeah. to Tehran, like it's yeah. they. But even here in Melbourne, for sh- yeah. same yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, no, you're right. It's absolutely you know this symbol of the diaspora, and and just referring to what you were saying earlier, Kim, with how oh, but like don't they look at their parents and not know? Um, I think that's more what I'm alluding to that the fact that it's now become kind of this rite of passage in what I was reading. More than 60% of the 40,000 annual cosmetic procedures in Iran, more than 60% are nose jobs. And then Mm. the dressings on the nose is like um, a badge of honour. Oh, walking around with your dressings on. Whereas here people would like hold up at home for the One of our our anaesthetists who is from Colombia, he says plastic surgery is a rite of passage in Colombia. Yeah, no, I'd believe that. 100%. Has wow. mm. he never told you? No, oh. I don't know that. Yeah, we're opening a clinic in Colombia. Oh, Bogotá. Happy, happy to go yeah. to travel anywhere. I was talking to Richard earlier, but that I was like, oh, it's not really, it's not as big as I thought it was. But beauty queens, because it's such a big export in like Venezuela, oh. they would oh, yeah, of course. stitch mesh onto their tongue so that they can't eat, so that they're skinny for the beauty, because it's such a big, and they go to these schools, they get like shipped off at like 12, and they go to these schools and they just get raised with like just designed to be beauty pageants so they can kind of get out but now Venezuela that's a hard no from so me <laughs> yeah i know it's a bit um wow. a bit what extreme well <laughs> i'm just like but now i'm just like it's a bit on the nose because like uh, it's a bit off the nose yeah. <laughs> you need that sound effect <laughs> but a boom 
Oh no, wrong one. <laughs> yeah, I just thought I and it, oh, okay, sorry, that's. <laughs> um, yeah, just and it is quite interesting to see that, it, like, I think obviously the interest lies in eurocentric beauty ideals, but also just like that the diaspora it doesn't matter that you know that these people are all across the world, and yeah. but it's just because they're this diaspora that's kind of committed to what they're. <clears throat> parents have done and how you're saying mm. you're like oh I don't look like that but it's like so open and it's so understood mm. that you will most likely be getting this nose job it's fascinating all right our last one um to get a little bit closer to home is UK so across the world um non-invasive surgery has risen by 200 percent so that's your cool sculpting which again a very fascinating episode mm. that we have covered um as well as filler anti-wrinkle etc but um, I think the UK is kind of most prominent for it, just that cult of celebrity is rampant and they're like very iconically getting to be known for like giant lips, big veneers and filler across their face. Which is such a great look. Yeah. And I think... It's shocking. I, th- I do think that's interesting because just even from my time in London, it was like just so obvious that that compared to experiences in Australia, how different that was do you think that that i mean because obviously we have had such a huge rise globally do you think that that's something that might come to australia we're going to get go more into the more obvious fillers and there's definitely parts of that especially the uh, reality tv shows and which is kind of following in the uk's footsteps a bit but Mm. um and the the, it's a nickname sort of pillow face where people's yeah. face, not just their mm. lips, but their whole cheeks and their the whole faces are so ridiculously overfilled. Um, and it, it's huge in celebrities and um, naming name, name names, maybe? No. Is but even one of our homegrown Australia's darling, mm. like her, her face is, she's Rachel alabaster white <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, yeah, which I also thought was very funny that she played Lucille Ball, who's known for her facial movement. And I was like, Nicole Kidman has okay. her face. Spoiler alert. Years. Spoiler alert. Worst movie I've ever seen. Really? Terrible. Yeah, I don't know if that shocked me. Unwatchable. What yeah. one is it? Lucille it's Ball. It's the Ricardos. Oh, my God. So it's about Lucille Ball. And shocking. Oh, anything with said actress in it I is know. relatively shocking. I know. But it had good reviews and I watched it. And horrible, mm. unwatchable, yeah. uh, actually unwatchable. Peak to all I'm We maybe need to do a podcast on yeah, yeah. what we've been we'll watching. We'll do culture next, everyone. Leave comments. <laughs> Just with the UK trend. Yeah. I, I think some of that is cost as well. So uh, I think some of the plastic surgery procedures, this is their hospital system thing. It's actually going to theatre is actually quite expensive there. Mm-hmm. So I wonder whether that oh, impacts that they do few more non-surgical treatments like injectables, threads, mm-hmm. things like that. Because the fat dissolvings and stuff. Yeah, yeah, just because, you know, to go to theatre there because just the yeah, way yeah, the yeah. system is structured that maybe there's a – Oh, there's interesting. Because their NHS impact. is so good but I'd obviously never thought about <laughs> private – but the private so, is is so tricky. private it's is not just so fully paid. Yeah. You've just got it. There's no insurance, you and just it, it's pay not. For yeah, it's not so common as it is here. Whereas in the states, it's completely opposite, and they're doing major surgeries as day surgeries, and yeah. so the, it's probably We're significantly going cheaper there. We're going that way for sure. Managed care. Um, the other thing though is is 
the effect of Zoom. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, I think, you know, people are anecdotally talking about, because we've been doing a lot more Zooming and Teams and whatever, video conferencing over the last couple of years. Um, I don't know, people, are, they're talking that... They just have to look at their face more often. Yeah, I, I don't know real... I think so. Do, don't do you most think people look on the screen... And they're not looking at the person they're talking to, they're looking at themselves. Oh, they're absolutely. But yeah, I'd, I'm just not sure. I think it's kind of like a cause and effect when people I just so. in this, like they're just kind of, it sounds like I get it, but like I don't think you'd have to really hate what you were looking at to be like, if I don't get some surgery and yeah. fix this. But I, I think it probably is promoting people to get injectables maybe yeah. earlier than they otherwise would. Maybe. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. I feel like with my friends, I'm having more open conversations about it. Like people are far more likely to just be like, oh, yeah, like I got Botox, which mm-hmm. I don't think. I mean, I don't know. but I don't Because think of that. Zoom though? I don't think so. I don't think so either. And the, the other um, comment with injectables in the younger population, mm-hmm. your friends in the UK, <laughs> yes. um, is preventative. So uh, yeah. I think a lot of um, younger people are getting – uh, injectables in particular anti-wrinkle to be like oh I don't want to get wrinkles rather than yeah. waiting till they're in their 40s and be like oh okay well I've got some wrinkles let's see how I can yeah. improve them now if you liked this episode of keeping it real please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and while you're there why don't you have a flick through our past episodes We'd love to hear your requests for future topics. So send your suggestions through to us on IG at Replastic Surgery. That's all for today. And we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery.